And we'll start reading from verse 15 of Genesis 29:15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed, that I may go into her. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Why w- Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, It is not our practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for he he said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she named, his, she named him Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she had borne, borne no children, bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Okay. So, he serves, so Laban says to him, and Laban was, was, was an amazing conniving man. And, uh, um, uh, remember Jacob had just connived his father, had just deceived his father. And he stole this this uh, uh, blessing. He had already gotten the birthright legitimately, but now he stole the blessing. And and it's interesting, you know. There's there's this uh, uh, verse in in uh, in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 11. It says, a, "A rebellious man seeks only evil, 
so a cruel messenger will be sent against him. You know, Jacob deceived his father. He was not, he, he was complicit in it. At first he didn't want to do it, but he went ahead with, with what his mother had told him to do, which he never should have done. God could have given him blessing and would have another way. But uh, um, uh, someone even more devious than Jacob came into Jacob's life, and that was Laban. And so when, when you become a cheat, it's interesting in life, people will cheat you. Whatever you, a man sows, that shall he also reap, the scriptures say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And so Laban says, you know, you've been working with me uh, for one, it says he, he, he was there for a month and he says, you've been working with me. Uh, obviously, let me pay you. And he says, what I'll do is I'll work seven years for your daughter's hand in marriage. And he was very specific. He says, he says in verse 16, I want your young, he, he, he says, uh, that he said that he wanted Rachel. Uh, tell me what you want. And in verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, Leah's eyes were weak, and that probably means that she was nearsighted. Uh, they didn't have opticians in those days, so she was nearsighted. But Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. He was very specific. Your younger daughter, Rachel. This is what I'll serve you seven years for. Now, he didn't have anybody speaking on his behalf. Remember that, that uh, uh, Abraham had sent to get a wife for Isaac through his trusted servant, Eleazar, who was the oldest, most senior servant in his home. And he gave him specific instructions. And he was the one who went and negotiated this, this, this marriage thing. But Isaac, being far less astute than his father Abraham, sent his son to get a wife without giving any dowry. So now this son goes there empty-handed, and so he's going to have to work for this. He's going to have to work for this, and he says, I'll work seven years. Now Laban jumps at that. He says, that's a deal. Seven years of labor. When, when your hormones are controlling you, you don't generally make the best deal. And, and uh, this certainly happened in his life that Laban instantly accepted that deal tells you that this was a, a deal that was probably very much in Laban's favor. And, uh, and, and so this is why a lot of times it's, if you're going to go buy a car, it, if you really like a particular car, it's better to have somebody else negotiating the deal on the car than you. It's just, just a cleaner sort of transaction because there's no heart involved in this. And uh, so it wasn't a very good deal, but he was very specific. And Laban says, sure, we'll do it. And he served seven years. And in verse 20, it says, Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob, in verse 21, said to Laban, give me my wife, for my time is completed that I may go into her. You know, isn't it interesting that for seven years he was laboring and he says, okay, it's now my time that she's my wife. It's now my time that I go into her, which was a common expression among when a person was getting married. 
But what's interesting, seven years he labored in that home without going into her. Seven years. Now remember we said that, that uh, Jacob was named was called Tam, T-A-M, a peaceful man or an upright, just man. There were only, there were only uh, uh, two other people in the scriptures that this had been spoken of, and one was Noah and the other was Job. Those were great, great men in the Bible, Job, uh, 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 Noah and Job. So there were the only two others. So this was a very high word of praise of God upon this man. This guy really was in many ways quite an upright man. He said, the time is up, now it is time to let me go into her that, that she would be my wife. And I find this amazing that for seven years he worked in that home without sleeping with this woman. He didn't just say, well, you know, we're engaged to be married. It's going to happen anyway. No, he honored this and he, he refrained from this sort of thing. And then it says, it says in verse 22, Laban gathered all the men for the, of the city. He's going to have the, the, the ceremony here. And, and, uh, uh, then what happens is at the beginning of this seven day ceremony, He's supposed to spend that evening in, in the tent, that first evening in the tent with his new wife. Laban had her all covered up. I don't know how drunk he had gotten uh, uh, Jacob, but this was the wrong woman. And, and it wasn't until he woke up in the morning that he then realized that this is the wrong woman. And uh, um, so you, you can actually see this analogies here with, with deception that he had done to his father, that he was complicit with his mother in this deception. Isaac had been blind. Isaac couldn't see. Uh, uh, Jacob was, he, he, he had this, this, in effect, blindness because of the darkness. He wasn't able to see. Um, uh, the wrong child was presented to Jacob. Jacob was presented to Isaac instead of his brother Esau. So you see that relation there. Uh, Jacob misled his Jacob was misled just like Isaac had been misled and what's interesting about this is that Leah was complicit in this deception just as Jacob had been complicit in the deception to Isaac regarding the blessing so Leah at any moment could have spoken up and said whoa you know, it's me in this tent with you. Surprise! You know, Leah could have spoken up, but she was complicit in the deception. And now what we're going to be able to see is this amazing dysfunctionality that's about to start in Jacob's married life. An extremely dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional between his wives and him, between his two wives, dysfunctional between his children. Amazing dysfunction because this whole thing was predicated upon deception. Deception is terribly destructive to a family. Terribly destructive. So when one spouse is deceiving another spouse, it brings destruction into a family and it brings, brings this discontinuity in a family so that there's this dysfunction that results. And Leah was very much complicit in this, going right along with this scam. And uh, um, so, so uh, uh, the other thing is that Laban's deception, 
Laban put his daughters in a place of deception. So Laban was, was, was doing this with his daughters, putting at least Leah in this place of deception. Now, in this whole saga of what's going on, I'm wondering, what's Rachel thinking? Why doesn't she cry out? And so I was discussing this with my wife, with Shireen, who comes from another country and another culture, and she looked at me so strangely. Like, you don't get it? She said, no, tell me, what am I missing here? She says, in these cultures, the woman has, the daughter has no say. If the father has decided to do something, that's it. That's it. We know that she was not excited about this thing because we're going to see this animosity with her sister for the rest of their lives. But when the father in that culture has decided to do something, that's it. That younger daughter had no say in this. She couldn't do anything. And uh, um, even if she knew about it, you know, we don't even know that she knew about it. It might have been kept a secret from her and they just... She's wondering why isn't she being called to that tent on the, on the, the wedding night of that first, first day. If you go to Israel today and you go to a wedding, because my, my daughter got married in Israel. It's a very interesting custom in Israel to this day. Before the wedding ceremony, the woman walks up, the veil is lifted, and the man inspects the face, and he walks around her, is the custom. Because of this deception in Israel, he has to make sure he's marrying the right person. To this day, that is the tradition. Just like we have our traditions in marriage, you know, you may kiss the bride. and They have their tradition. It's the inspection to make sure that he's marrying the right person. And, and uh, uh, so, so Leah, so, so he, it's, he goes into Leah. What's interesting about this as well is that now he spends the first night with Leah thinking that it's Rachel. And, uh, you, you know, you, you, have to, you, you have to think about what might be going on. And so, you know, maybe he's saying, you know, uh, uh, Rachel, I love you so much. And Leah's just staying quiet. And, and uh, uh, you know, the tent is dark. And, they, and, and he wakes up and he sees that this is Leah. And he says to the father, he says to Laban, what have you done? Uh, he says, what is this you have done to me? Why was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why have you deceived me? He is now feeling the brunt of a major deception. Just like his father suffered the brunt of a major deception. When we walk deceptively, it catches up with us. We're just setting things up in our life. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. When God says it shall happen, it has to happen. It can't, it cannot not happen. Whatever we sow, we are going to reap. Deception brings real problem in our lives. He's feeling this full brunt of deception head on. His father-in-law, and now He's married to a woman who he'd never intended to be married to. But what's interesting, he didn't say, well, no, it's off. Forget that. He consummated this event and he realized this was binding. This was a binding event. He didn't just say, well, you know, you deceive me, forget it. Bring in the other one. Just send her out. I mean, I'm fascinated by this. That to him, 
This sexual act was something that was binding. He refrained from having sex with Rachel for, for seven years. And now he's deceived, and after one night, he says, this is binding. This has an effect. And then Laban says, it's not our practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Now that may or may not have been true. We don't know that, but you would expect that if he had lived in that culture for seven years, he would have seen other weddings. He would know that to be the practice of of the, the population there. So it may well have been a lie by Laban. Because we're going to see other lies by Laban. Laban is, it can be quite a deceptive guy. So Laban says, just complete the week with her. And then after that week is up, I'll give you my other daughter. For which you're going to have to serve seven years. And, uh, so you see all of this starts coming upon him. And so then, you know, he spends the week with her and then he gets this, this second week. He gets to spend with the woman that he loves. And then it, it says very specifically, he, in verse 27, he completed the week of this one. And, and he says, and we will give you the other one for the service with which you will serve me for another seven years. He was in no place to be negotiating. You know, he's like, just totally stuck. Jacob did so and completed her week. And then he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah. So now he's got two wives and he's got two servants that go along, one with each wife. Now, I can tell you, I, when I drove to graduate school, when I drove to graduate school, I just got engaged. I put everything I owned in the trunk of the car, in the trunk. And I drove out, not, not even in the back seat. Everything fit in the trunk just fine. I drove across the country to graduate school. Then, that first summer, I went back and I got married. I went from being in the infantry to being a supply sergeant. I filled up her stuff, filled up the whole back seat, the whole trunk, and I had to get a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> I got a U-Haul and, and, and uh, drive across the country. But that was nothing compared to when I became a father. You know, so I, I marry a young lady who was a hundred pounds and there was all this stuff. But then you get a kid who's like 10 pounds and you have so much stuff you got to carry for a 10 pound human being. It's amazing. You got carriers and baskets and all this stuff you got to carry and your life will never be the same ever again. So guys, I'm telling you, you'll never travel as lightly as you do now. Once you get married, you're forever done for. And then when you have kids, it's all over. And so he's probably wondering, oh my goodness, I had like zero expenses. I was able to save all my money. And now I've got two wives and their servant ladies. So he's all of a sudden thrust into this massive care of all of these other people. So he's got four other people he's got to care for. And uh, uh, so he, he's, he's got these, uh, uh, these wives and in verse 31, it says, says uh, um, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So he loved Rachel. And this word unloved, actually the word there is hated. He hated Leah. But that word hated is not hated in the sense that, that, that we think of that word. That word is commonly used. That means she was not the chosen one. 
she was not the chosen one. That in comparison to Rachel, he loved her much more, and, she, and Leah was not the chosen one. Jesus says, says to us, anyone who loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. In the other gospel, it says, he who does not hate mother and father. So it's in a comparison. It's a comparison. It's a word that's commonly used to make a comparison. So in the, in, in the relation to, to our love for God, it's going to look like hatred toward mother and father, although he tells us to honor our mother and our father. And he told the, the Pharisees that they needed to honor their mother and the father because they were using this term korban where they weren't taking care of them. But anyway, you see all of this happening. And now Leah knows that she's unloved. Well, how could he love her when she was so duplicitous? When she had so deceived him and been complicit in this deception? She could well have spoken up that night and said, this is not right. So she deceives him and all of a sudden she's wondering why she's not loved. And so in verse, in verse 32, she goes and, and she conceives a son named Reuben and she says he's going to see that I'd born him a son. He's, she, and the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely now my husband will love me. You see, now she is trying to earn his love by having a child. Now Reuben, her firstborn son, is going to end up in a wicked deception when he gets older. A wicked deception. I'm telling you, deception follows along. Learn how to repent and deal with these things and go back and make up for the deceptions. Or they carry with you. They really carry with you. She's carrying this deception into her marriage. She's carrying this deception that's going to start affecting her sons. So she has this son, and she's trying to earn her husband's love by having a son. That didn't work. She conceived again, and and uh, uh, so so this, Reuben means means uh, see see a son seen, and then she has another son, and she says because in verse thirty three because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son, so she named him Simeon, which means hearing. So the Lord has heard this, and, and uh, uh, again, she's, she does, says, I'm unloved. Now I have this son, he, God heard me. Verse 34, she conceived again, and she bore another son. And uh, uh, she says, now this time my husband will become attached to me. And so Levi means attached. And so she named him Levi. You, you, don't, even, you don't even see... Jacob participating in the naming of these kids. And then, and then she conceived again and she bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. So after three sons, she kind of gives up on her husband ever loving her. And she says, I'm just going to praise the Lord. I've had another son. So, so this word Judah is Yehuda. If you go to Israel, there's a lot of men named Yehuda. It's the same word, Judah, which means praise. And so she named her some praise. And then it says, and then she stopped bearing. We don't know if the Lord closed her womb or it may well have been that Jacob just stopped having sex with her. That could well have been because we will see that he doesn't start again having sex with her until she negotiates the deal with Rachel. Yeah, the older sister wife has to negotiate with the younger sister wife who really has control of the husband, she has to negotiate with her in order to get the husband to sleep with her. Talk about a dysfunctional home. This was really, really dysfunctional. Remember, this guy went from being totally free to being caught up in something like this. And 
the next time that Leah gets slept with is she has to bribe her younger sister to instruct the husband, Jacob, to sleep with her. She bribes her to do this. She pays for this. And so all of this is going on. All of this is happening. So, so what does God instruct for us? Well, if, if you look, if you look, for example, um, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse, verse, uh, um, verse 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Let's think about this in marriage. And I know a lot of you know all about marriage, so you don't need to listen to this. But for, for those of us who, who maybe want a little counsel on marriage, let's see what the scriptures tell us. Because we can't expect to walk automatically in marriage and do well. Many people just say, I can't. I don't need any of this. I know what to do. And we mess it up every time. So let's look at what the Bible instructs for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things about which I wrote to you, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. So if you're not married, it's good not to even touch a woman. You say, well, how far can I get? Well, what does the Bible say? It's good not even to touch. How do, how do you like that? All right? So you, you want to know what the Bible's definition of where is the line for the unmarried? It's right there. It is good not to even touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. That's a very interesting statement. Because of immoralities, let a man, let each man have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband. Why does marriage take place? Oh, because two people love each other. Okay, well what does this particular scripture verse say? It says, because of immoralities. Because of immoralities. You can't contain yourself, so you get married. I'll tell you, I got married at the age of 22, and I was, I was just raring to get married. Because I wanted to enjoy my wife physically. Because it was not something that I could do outside the bonds of marriage. So it drove me to want to be married. I couldn't, you know... Seven years, no, no, seven years stuff for me. It was, it was, you know, we were engaged for 10 months and that was enough for me. This thing of waiting 10 years, you know, if, if you're not cohabitating, it drives you to want to be married. You cohabitate and people are like, why even bother getting married? I mean, we're doing just fine. We're doing all right. Why bother, bother getting married? Because God has a way here. He says, one of the reasons for marriage is right here. Because of immoralities. So you get married. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. And, and then, he, then he starts have, getting the instruction in marriage on how they're, they're, they're supposed to deal with this in marriage. And I have a whole, a whole section on my website. There's this teaching called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. It's a six-part series. You just plug the things in your ears and listen to it. You start in part one and you go through part six. One of the sections is changing the Christian bedroom from hell on earth to heaven on earth. And you think that, that once you're married, everything's going to be fine in the sexual realm. Well, talk to some yet married couples. Talk to them. Say, so, how do things go? Isn't it, it must be just great, right? They'd be like, uh... uh. No, it doesn't... Just be great. 
There's a way that it can be great. There is a way that it can be great. You listen to that six-part series. Start in part one and work your way through to part six. But God has instruction for us. Let's look at, let's look at something else um, that Jesus said about this. In Matthew chapter 9. What did Jesus say about this? Matthew chapter 9, verse 4. Matthew chapter 9, verse 4. And he answered and he said, Have you not read Matthew... I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Matthew 19, verse 4. And he answered and he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Isn't that interesting? God made them male and female. He is quoting the Old Testament. Well, maybe the Old Testament got it wrong. Well, Jesus underscored, that's right, he made them male and female. So this thing that you are what you want to be, no, God made them male and he made them female. He made them that way. And, and I know young people are taught all sorts of things that there is no male and female. There's male and female in the entire animal kingdom, but not with human beings. With human beings, it's what you want to be is what you are, which can vary throughout your life depending on what stage you're at. Biology is not that way. It is not that way. There, you can look at, at, at a chromosomal difference. You can look at, at an anatomical difference. And you actually look at it as a behavioral difference as well. But it's, Jesus said they were made male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus said, when you're joined to your wife, the two become one flesh. They, they become one flesh. Verse, verse, um, verse 6 of Matthew chapter 19. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He underscores it again. They become one flesh. You say, well, what is this one flesh? That must mean the, the love and the marital union. No, he's talking about sexually, they become one flesh. That sexual act makes them one flesh. You say, no, 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 it's deeper than that. Okay, it's deeper. But it's that sexual act makes them one flesh, and we'll see why. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command, give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. So it was always God's intent that they would, from the beginning, they would be held together for life. And I'll tell you, I've been married almost 38 years. Our, our, our marriages had all sorts of struggles go along, and it, it, it's all my fault. I mean, I, I got the greatest wife, and I have all sorts of struggles. But, but, um, uh, and we were from two totally different cultures. Intercultural marriages, any counselor will tell you, have more problems that arise just because of the difference in culture. And, and, uh, uh, but we stuck with it. We worked through it. We went into counseling, whatever was needed, because we were committed. We were not getting divorced. For, for us, divorce was never an option. So either we were going to live together in war or we were going to live together in peace. And it's much better to be in peace. So let's get this thing worked out. And we go to counseling and we'd get it worked out. And so, look in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 6, 15. 
And remember how amazing this guy was that he waited seven years and that act consummated it with Leah even though it was an act of deception. Look in, in verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. This is the instruction for us in marriage. If you know all this, okay, tune me out. But if you don't know this, let's see what it says for us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? All right, think about that. Your body, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a member of Christ. You are a member of Him. If you are not a believer in Christ, I have nothing to say to you because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells me that I am not supposed to judge people outside the church. If you're outside the church, you're an entity unto yourself. I love you. I pray that you come to Jesus. I am instructing those who name the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's my instruction. That's what the Bible is saying. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? So now he's talking about men going together with prostitutes. All right? Shall that man go away with a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. So the man doesn't love the prostitute. It's not like, will you marry me? I mean, how many men propose marriage to a prostitute? But the act with the prostitute is the act makes the two one flesh. And he quotes the Old Testament passage, the two become one flesh. He quotes the very passage that Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 19. The two become one flesh. That act makes two into one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. What's the instruction? Flee. Do you have two legs? Run. Run. Flee. You flee immorality. You don't just say, I can, I can hang out all night in her apartment with her. I'll be okay. I can handle this. Won't affect me. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, yes, it will. You flee immorality. You go from a place like that quickly. That's what flee means. Quickly. Before your hormones take control of your legs. All right? Quickly. You go. Because the two become one flesh. The two become one flesh. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have from God? And that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's no longer my body. It belongs to God. And this is the instruction that God has for us. So much dysfunctionality comes in. You know, I was, I was talking to a person recently. It's, it's very interesting, and we were talking about counseling. And I, I, I think, you, you know, young women that have relationships where they break up, they spend a lot of time with counselors. because Why? Because they've been so bound up. You can't have that act of oneness and not be spiritually linked to a person. The two become one flesh. There's a spiritual linking. And when a relationship breaks up that has been physical, 
A woman is going to spend a lot of time in counseling. And that's the danger of it. That's what he wants to spare us from. I'm not trying to judge anybody. When, if you listen to the scriptural sexual ethics thing, I just come clean on my life. You want to hear what I've been through? It's on that. It's on that. I come clean with my life. So I'm not judging anyone. I just want for you the very best. That's what the scriptures want for us. Wants for us the very best. You bring deception into a relationship. It brings dysfunctionality in a marriage. And the marriage is painful. And it infects the children. We're just going to be tracking the life of Jacob. And it's painful. Jacob, at the end of his life, he even says it. He says, you know, long, you know uh, my, my life has been very, very hard. Very hard. And the things that happened to his children, it started with deception. It started with deception. I want to spare you from that. I really want what's best for you, as do the Scriptures. The Scriptures want what's best for you. If you are in Christ, allow this healing to come. And I'm not judging anybody's past. I'm just saying from this moment on, make a commitment to walk rightly with the Lord. If you are in a physical relationship, make a commitment from this day to refrain from that. And if that person is not in agreement, you don't want to be with that person because the two become one flesh in this very act. There's a oneness that is being built up there. I want your protection in this. That's what the scriptures have. And I will confess the hardest thing I think in my life and in the lives of many other young people is dealing with the physical aspects of relationships. That is the hardest thing to deal with. What we are talking about right now, this is, this is, this is the core. This is the absolute core of character. This is the thing that wars upon us the most in the age that you are in and it's going to last for a long time. You think, once I get married, then everything's all taken care of. Wrong, wrong, wrong. People will still be hitting on you. People will still be, uh, you'll still be attracted to other people. You think that once I have a wife, once I have a husband, then focus, focus, focus. No. Lots of people come in your life. And your mind goes all sorts of different ways. And I would say from from, you know, you're in it right now, it, it might end maybe like in your mid-50s. It might start to subside. It goes a long time. And you want to get this thing right. And you want your, your marriage to be functional. And it's not like I enjoy coming and speaking about this. I really don't. I would much rather be speaking about, you know, the, the meaning of some particular word in Hebrew and how that influences us. But this is the thing where Christian life comes in focus. This is the thing that wars against our flesh more than anything else. And this is the thing that affects our lives as people and our families and our marriages. If you are not in Christ, I urge you to come to Jesus today. I urge you to do that. There's a, there's a verse in John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. And he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you do not know the Lord, I'm not instructing what you, 
need to do what you should do in marriage or anything. The Bible's not even instructing you on that. It's calling you back to Christ. Because if you don't know the Lord, the wrath of God abides on you. So I urge you this day to please come to know the Lord. Today we're going to have lunch in my home. I urge you, come to my home. Let me tell you about Jesus. And then you make a decision then about coming to the Lord. But let me explain that to you based around my own testimony of what happened in my life. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that you would so cause them to take hold of your word and to walk in it. Father, the way Jacob walked, where he would not touch a woman for seven years. And Lord, the way that he, he understood the power of that consummation and what that meant. Father, I pray for your mercies on these young people. I pray, Lord, that they would have functional marriages and functional homes and good children that would not cause them torment in their lives. So, Father, I pray that they'd learn to walk your way, to walk the way that you have for them, to honor the Scriptures, to honor the Lord. Because, Lord, the Scriptures say, He who does not obey the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. Lord, I pray that they would learn to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God, that they could experience the joy of Christ in their lives and in their marriages. Bring good marriages, I pray, for the people in this class. Bring good marriages. And Lord, I ask you, for those here who are not saved, that their souls would be saved. Oh Lord, draw them to Jesus, I pray. And Father, for those who are struggling in the sexual realm, Father, my heart goes out to them, my heart goes out, because I've been there, and I know the pain in that. Father, I pray for victory in their lives, that they would glorify God in their bodies. Because the Scriptures say that he who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Father, I don't want to see corruption in their lives. Father, I pray that they'd learn how to sow into the Spirit rather than the flesh. Give them victory in this. Father, there's so many voices here on earth, so many voices in our society that are crying out so many things that are contrary to what your word teaches. Lord, I pray that you would give them victory. You would give them victory to walk according to your word, to not walk in untruth, to not walk in deception that they may have good lives and peaceful homes. And I commit this to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.